I think we think of ourselves, especially like in our 20s, as like, I am this finished product. And, and, and that just could not be farther from the truth. And I, I look back at it and I'm like, no, that version of myself like knew exactly what they were doing, but I wish I could tell them now, like, you are enough. You can do whatever you want. You really can. If you mold yourself based on what everybody else tells you to be, you will never be yourself. You will be everyone else but you. And the minute you are you, that's where your magic happens. Welcome to Just Go With It, a podcast by 20-somethings for 20-somethings. Fun, flirty, and keeping it real. An absolute riot these days. If it isn't over the top, it ain't us. They came out of college on top. Then life hit them in the face. Be a bit more professional, please. Couldn't shut us up then. Won't shut us up now. Here are the tips and tricks you are going to need to get through your 20s. We are getting into it. Strap yourselves in for a wild ride. Live on air. I'm Abby. And I'm Ashley. Good Lord, it's already season two. Grab a drink, take a seat, and get ready to just go with it. Come one, come all. Happy Friday, happy hour. We are back with another episode of Just Go With It. And today we are joined by a very special guest of ours who we hold very dear to our hearts. And if you are a real fan, you will remember him from all the way back last March. I cannot believe that it's been almost a year. That's actually nuts. I feel like we talked to you like two months ago. Yeah. We're going to start texting him more with updates about our lives. Yeah. Sprinkle it in. We're so excited to welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Adam Brooks, who is a public speaking professor at the University of Alabama, Roll Tide, and he's also a big brother figure on TikTok, providing lots of advice for people in your 20s from someone in his 30s. Welcome back, Adam. Hey, y'all. It's really good to, to see and hear you all again. It's I would say that everything's different, but sadly, it is not. Everything we is wish, We wish it was, but it's not. But how how have you both been? I've been really good. I had an exciting move across the country from Washington to Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm much closer to you. We'll be making a road trip. And most importantly, your hot boyfriend. We I, I, we need to unpack the hot boyfriend because when and I, I have a hot mustached boyfriend. Oh oh! Before we got on air, Adam texted me and said, "Just to clarify, it's Abby still dating the mustached man?" And I said, "Honestly, Abby's a whirlwind." But as of five days ago, when I talked to her, yes, she's still dating. Yes, <laughs> I wanted to make sure because I need to get into it because of like. He is a very attractive ginger man, and yes. I'm and we're, we're I need all of the details, but in like in like a supportive way, not a creepy yes. way. Yeah. Love, no, I support supportive or creepy. Bring it on. <laughs> um, I Ashley knows this. Like my type in men is just men. Like I am all over <laughs> the board. And time Abby texted me and said, "What's my type?" And I said, "Anyone living, breathing over six feet tall that looks like he can maybe uh, chop wood, but honestly, as long as he's alive, he's good." <laughs> Yes. No, he's giving me like rip energy. Do you watch Yellowstone? It's Oh, do I? He's obsessed with Yellowstone. He went and bought a vest just because he was watching it and he like wants to be a character in it. Does he own a black hat? He does own a cowboy hat, but it's is it black? I need to fact check on that, but it could be black. You know what, Abby, for the sake of your relationship, yeah. um, you need to go get that and <laughs> get the six hundred dollar one that from the company that actually makes it. Yeah, them. good idea. Yeah, actually, Valentine's Day is coming up. So yeah. I started watching Yellowstone two and a half weeks ago, and when I tell you I've never been more into something than this, I yeah. am 
obsessed and abby knows i'm so obsessed i've started wearing my like jacket collars popped up like i'm on the show <laughs> like i'm ready to buy a 600 dollars cowboy hat it's taken the world by storm in the same way that game of thrones has yes and to. people used to think yellowstone was just for like their parents but mm-hmm. no it is not it is it's also impossible to find that it is a lot like my early relationships that the more withdrawn they are the more i want to watch it we watched all three seasons in about a week and a half like we were like what will we have to look forward to if we don't have yellowstone to look forward to i have never met a character that is so clearly meant for gay iconography Mm. more than beth dutton i just want to start operating more like john dutton and sometimes when i feel inundated with like text this that xyz i'm like i feel like john dutton where he's like everyone just needs something from me what's what's the new problem yeah who'd you kill what's the new problem yeah yeah I mean, I think that's a way to live your life and also be emotionally distant to your children and pit them against each other. Great. Mm. That sounds exciting for the plot. (laughs) But it's it's so soapy, but it's also giving me like early Grey's Anatomy. It's giving me also the Sopranos. The way the family works is like the Sopranos. Yeah, it's it's taking the best pieces from so many different shows and kind of put it all together in one element. And something very characteristic of our generation, Ashley, we're like that in between millennial and Gen Z. Like we can- we can re- no, we can relate to millennial fully, but we can also relate to Gen Z fully. I noticed this. I had this as a shower thought the other day. I'm someone who fully can immerse myself in a show like Euphoria and binge that and understand the, like how that affects the psyche and like why the Gen Z kids mm-hmm. are into that. But I also love like This Is Us Whoa. and Yellowstone. And I can relate to both. And we are just in between both and we get it. And I just, what are we called? I just still don't know. I don't know. What I do know, though, is either this summer or next spring, we're going to go to your house in Washington and we're going to go to like ride horses and we're going to lean in hard to it. I'd be scared of horses, but we're going to lean in. I want to sit. I want to, like, I went out and I got a bottle of whiskey. (laughs) Yeah, you did. Our new house has a front porch. And when I'm, when I tell you that after we watched the second season, I sat on a rocking chair, (laughs) drinking whiskey, looking out at the horizon. At the suburban horizon. (laughs) Like, breathed deeply at, like, my tree of, like, this is my, I shit you not. I walked the perimeter of my property one day because like our new house has like, has like some land in the back. And I was like, this is my land. (laughs) This is the, this is the land that seven generations will build. It's, it's gotten really dark. I love that. We're carrying in main character energy in 2022. That's what we're doing. We're emulating our favorite TV icons and we're running with it. Um, Any advice you want from our big brother, uncle? like slightly older uncle adam i'm not sure what to call you but you're our mentor (laughs) i like you know what i I think like gunkle works i feel like it is big brother energy big brother not big brother like the show where they're always watching you but big brother like endearing advice giving but our kind of angle that we're going to be working towards is adam is in his 30s we won't say what that means to us but adam is in his 30s and we are framing all the questions as Someone in their 30s telling them, looking back on their early, mid-20s, what the hell we should be doing. Plus, he's our own personal Ed Milet. As a brief caveat to that, I think, too, so much of our concept of age and what we should do in certain ages is so contextual. Mm -hmm. Like, what my early 20s looks like and what people who are just now graduating college, who are 20, 21, 22, 23 are just in almost completely different universes. And I think we can acknowledge them like to learn a lesson from that, but also to acknowledge that like 
some of the tactics might be different, but that's like the overall strategy and lived experience might, might have some connection there. Right. And the core principles, I feel like remain at least some of them, but also you, you just made it through your twenties and we don't get to have a lot of contact with people who have done that. I feel like everyone in my world is either like my mom's age, like people I work with, like that's true, kind of that double, like two yeah. generations up. And I don't know that many people in their 30s. Do you, Ashley? Adam is my sole 30-something, like, friend. I do. Yeah. It's not That's like I talk to about. anyone in their 30s for pleasure. Like, it's either 20s or you're right, 40s, 50s, parents' age. Um, I feel like this is also a very – this is a straight thing. Because every <laughs> queer person – honestly, every queer person I know knows people – who are 10 to 15 or 20 years older than them. That is actually, I have seen that happen. I've seen that pattern develop and it must be a straight thing. What are we doing wrong? <laughs> no, no, it's because it's because like you felt safe in the community that you were in. Mm-hmm. So you, you palled with people that were around you. Um, whereas like for most, for a lot of queer people, I'll say that. Um, it's like, oh, I, I don't know who I am. So I literally have to go, I didn't grow up with people who were like me. Mm-hmm. So now I have to go meet every version of myself. That is so, so interesting. interesting. I just now connected that dot. Huh. Interesting. Wow. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Cause we, I love it. Yeah. We're straight. So we're just like, let's go with the flow. Whoever's around us is our friend. Just whatever is comfortable. Yeah. We're not seeking very hard. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. But yes, so I am, but and, and for the <laughs> listeners, I am 35 i am squarely in my mid 30s so and he's I'm happy. proud and he looks great you're looking amazing by the way thank you appreciate that yes i saw your um your gym talk that challenge that everyone was doing with the left right all that stuff i tried doing that and i couldn't do it and let me tell you i go to the gym four days a week i could not do that so. girl i've seen you deadlift a human male like, <laughs> that's don't, true don't and, tell like, yourself a sizable male too not a like, scrappy male <laughs> she's like she's like i couldn't do a push-up girl no no i could do push-ups i just don't have the coordination to like do it to the beat an antidote about abby working out okay one time abby and i were on a little trip together and some i forgot what the context was but i was like abby i don't feel like getting kidnapped today this is i'm only five four i'm small i abby's five ten she works out i was like i don't feel like getting kidnapped today and abby said you really think someone's gonna kidnap me (laughs) you said it would take chloroform (laughs) to put me in someone's trunk you're safe with me (laughs) it's true nobody sees me on the street and is like yeah i could mess with her nobody i feel strongly that abby's exercise is just an outlet for her rage that if if (laughs) if there was not that outlet it would be we would be we would be doing this podcast and you might be incarcerated wow (laughs) that is social profiling and i'm going to the police um you're actually kind of right i feel like since i've joined title boxing that was a really good outlet to really let out some rage where does the rage come from we don't know but like it's in there so gotta get it out someday somehow some way Back to my boyfriend. Do I have any questions, like advice that I need? Well, something I've been ruminating on a lot in this stage of life is the different ways that people our age view dating. And Mm. some people think it's totally normal and okay to date, to date, to get to know Mm. yourself, to get to know what you want, what you don't want, to enjoy someone's company. And some people think that you should only date for marriage. And if you don't think you're going to marry someone, you got to get out. And that's a very polarizing view. And I've seen both a lot. Mm. Okay. What we were saying is that I and some of our friends and sometimes Abby a date with the intention to marry and we go between date for fun, date for pleasure. But how, when do you stop dating for pleasure and say, I'm not going to like kind of marry them? Like what's the 
intersection. I feel, I feel like, because I see this play out because I have been through the cycle where all of my friends then got married. And then a few years later, the first group person in my like friend group around my age went through their divorce and then mm. sort of then the cycle of the, of the remarriages. Right. I feel though, I think, and this is part of what happens is that we think of relationships as like, where are you in the process of development? We look at a relationship like it is a product that is being developed over time. And so then we're like, well, are we moving forward or what, what, what is the status of us? And I, so I've been married now seven years and I can say that like, what I wish I would have known maybe earlier, my advice I could give to, to like other people that are dating is that mm-hmm. when you are marrying, you are like marrying that relationship as opposed to marrying that person. I've never heard this before. I cannot wait to, for you to dive yeah. in. <laughs> so like, I'm, taking notes. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> we think about it of like, I'm marrying this person. Is this person right for me? But in truth, you are marrying that relationship. You are saying that this relationship that I am in is good, fulfilling. And that's not to say that you don't work at it because every relationship you absolutely have to work at because the person you are with is going to change. Mm-hmm. I am not the person that I was when I got married seven years ago. Yeah. And My I husband. hope that you wouldn't be because we're always yeah. changing. And so, but then, so then let's, the, then let's carry that back to dating. If we are always changing then to look at someone of like, oh, am I dating just for fun, for pleasure? Or am I looking at this? Like it's a relationship. Like, is this moving towards marriage? It's like, well, marriage is basically like, we look at it like it's this achievement, right? We look at it, we yes. celebrate it in the same way that we celebrate graduations and so for a lot of people it's this like well when am I going to have this and I and I personally think that for a lot of women it is about like when can I claim this center of attention in my life 1000% I'll be honest I clearly I'm not ready for marriage when I think about getting married I am so excited for the fanfare Mm -hmm. I'm so excited for the attention that's what I've wanted since I was a little kid, all of that. And quite frankly, the relationship is the last thing on my mind, which I know is wrong. That's why I'm not looking to get married anytime soon. But at this stage of my life, I'm like, oh, how exciting. Mm-hmm. All my best friends and the bridal party, like it's all that. Well, think of how ritualized it is, right? Yeah. It's like, I want the bachelorette party. I want the engagement party. I want the this. I want the gifts. I want the the hashtag. I want the photograph. Like, mm-hmm. I I want the video. I want the video to make my life look like a movie. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and the ways in which you, that, that is such like an, a forward investment on things. Um, But that is also like not your relationship. Like Mm -hmm. you're more, you're saying more like you're not marrying that person because we changed so much. You're marrying how they treat you and how they work in the relationship and what they're bringing forth towards it and what they're going to continue doing because and how you treat them. Like, yeah. I yeah. will say like, you know, they always say the first year of marriage is, is the hardest. I would say, cause we, we lived together before we got married. Like I would say like year, like three was, was hard. Cause it was like, Oh, like it, the excitement's gone. Oh, it's you forever. Okay. So now, now I'm actually feeling what that is. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling what that looks like. I'm feeling like, Oh, I have to tell you now when there's a problem because we're not as attuned to one another as we were before. Like, because you end up taking, you know, you end up, you go through periods, right. Of, of highs and lows. I also feel like I'll, sh- I'll just share from my personal experience in my twenties. When I was dating, I was like this, like 
a lot of my association with dating was wrapped in shame, right? It was like, oh, I don't want to be promiscuous. So I'm going to like date a lot of people that way. Like I can feel good about it, right? Like, oh, we're going to go to dinner. We're going to do all Mm -hmm. these things. When in reality, like I was doing what everybody else was doing. I just called it dating instead. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think sometimes, especially when you're in your dating life, you have to wonder like, what is driving my actions? I know for me, my early dating experiences were driving out of this like really strong lack of self-worth. And so I just kept thinking I could find this person that was going to like add enough to me to make up for whatever deficiencies I thought I had, right? So it's like, I want people who knows who's the opposite of me. I want somebody who knows the things that I don't know how to do, who is different and better than me in this thing. So that like, I can make up for all these deficiencies that I have. And the truth is, is that like, whatever perceived lack you have will be filled out in time. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that I thought were just kind of like permanent aspects of my personality are completely different now, 15 years later. So are you saying that you should marry someone basically to enhance your life, not to complete your life? Yeah. I think, I think you have to think about like, who do I feel good around and what, And you have to like be able to have tough conversations because like at the end of the day, most of your like long-term relationships are like, how are you when you go to the grocery store? Mm -hmm. What happens like when you're having dinner with each other every night for the rest of your life, especially like, I mean, Chris and I's relationship got really, really strong during the pandemic because we kept very busy lives for a long time and we were constantly just running past each other. And then all of a sudden we were home all of the time. Now that was the worst, like first couple months. Cause I'm like, Oh, you're home like all the time. And I'm home all the time, but right. we've learned how to talk through that. But I guess you realize like, Oh, it's you and it's me forever. Yeah. So you have to feel good about being with that person forever. And it's not like you're going to know that on date three, you're not going to, you're not going to know that. And I mean, cause I was guilty of doing this, right. Of like, okay, well, like you need to have like this kind of job or you need to like be doing like these kinds of things. And like, where is this relationship going? And are you serious? But I say all that, but also like every relationship has to have some kind of shared pool of meaning, like some common like value. And it could be like an activity that y'all enjoy mm-hmm. together. For us, it was like, we both came from like big, very complicated families. Mm-hmm. And so like our value system was about that of like what we like the future that we wanted to build together. And so like that helped in a lot of ways, but I think you can't look at your relationship and your dating life like it's a checklist because it will just backfire on you. Like yeah. mm-hmm. I know so many people who got married a because they wanted to have sex and they felt like or like oh no. They were like <laughs> waiting, right? Like uh-huh. Oh, no. Um, and then they like get married and then you're like, but what is this relationship? Like, are, are you going to be with one another? I, sorry, this is a different tangent about like getting married. And a lot of times I think people need to have the serious discussions that they have, like before they get married, before you get engaged. Mm-hmm. Because I, these agree days, with that. I think engagement is so public that it's almost yes. like getting married. That's what I was talking about with a friend recently that and it, like when my parents were of marrying age, 
what's the big deal? You break off an engagement. Now there's the party, Instagram, the pho- photographer. It's yeah, there's such higher stakes. To break off an engagement now is like such a big deal. And I think I think momentum is a really dang. It's probably the biggest danger in any relationship because you're like, well, I'm already this far along. Mm, it's like the sunken cost fallacy. I've already put this much time, money, and effort and energy into it. Like, might as well just keep going. This is why I don't believe in cohabitation before marriage because when people go through all that effort to move in, I didn't one know another, that about you. I think mm. it depends on the relationship. I will say, obviously, uh, there are outliers and it's not for everyone. But I think in general, a lot of people who live together before they get married might, you know, slide into marriage, slide into an engagement because all of our things are together. We own a dog together. Like it would be so much work to break up our lives and we basically are already married. So let's just get married when in reality, that's not really a real reason to marry someone. Again, there are times where it could work, of course, but I'm just saying in general, at least for me, I think that's kind of how I view it. But but that sunken cost fallacy, I saw a TikTok where this girl was talking about talking to her dad, who's like a macroeconomic professor. And he was talking about like the hidden cost of things, right? And she's like, we don't realize it, but there is always a cost to our comfort. Mm, interesting. Like the, the cost is the, the thing you could have gained from discomfort. going out and taking that risk and taking in that discomfort. And I think for a lot of relationships, it's like, well, I'm in this and like, I mean, have you all done this before where you've seen somebody that you know get married and you're like, this is not the right, this is not the right relationship. A million times. We came from Pepperdine and everyone's engaged. (laughs) Oh oh my God. Like where I teach, this is even more of a thing because there's literally the phenomenon of the girls want the ring by spring. Like That's that's Pepperdine too. People get going with that intense engagements left and right (laughs) when you dig down deep into it it is quite literally they're like well they want the ceremony of their sorority sisters and the thing that they do as a tradition they're like they want that before Mm -hmm. they go and i'm like you are first of all first of all it is the easiest thing in the world to date when you are in college because you have to negotiate none of the like major life things right everything's figured out each other's social schedules that's the only thing that you got to figure out you oh you have a class on wednesdays at 11 like no (laughs) I, I also firmly believe that any relationship needs to go through at least one period of transition. Mm, that's good. That's so good that could way. be like one of you changes jobs. You you both move to a new city. One of you, you both graduate and then now are in the real world together. Like how do you navigate, how does that relationship navigate stress? Because your life is nothing but stress. And how you choose to navigate it. And so learning what your partner is going to be like in those situations can be really valuable. Um, I've also heard that you should do like one or two really big important trips before you get engaged. Like the type where stuff goes wrong, like to Europe or one of those types of trips where stuff gets canceled and everyone gets frantic in the airport and wants to yeah, kill you the person find they're with. out who the person is when you travel with them yeah for sure or if they're like just yes. passive and they like wash their hands of the issues and wait for you to fix it um no, yeah we're working on that in my ma- we're working <laughs> on that in my marriage because we have traveled together and and i will say it is alarming because like but because i'm more proficient on the internet Sometimes Chris will basically rely on me. I'm responsible for the internet in our relationship. Mm. Like, hey, will you look that up? Like, 
hey, like, will you open that maps thing? Like, I don't really know how my phone works. And I was like, no, like, this is a weapon. You're like, wait, wait, wait. There are basics here. (laughs) I I think, like, about a year and a half ago, I told him, I was like, for our relationship, I need you to understand the internet. I cannot keep, like, (laughs) That's so funny. Us at 23, we'll never have that problem, Ashley. You won't. Uh, You never know. People get (laughs) People surprise you every day. People surprise you. Okay, I wanted to know what kind of this was a core question bouncing off of everything that we've just said. And this extends to marriage, relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, and also friendship, like a long-term friendship, a lifelong friend. How do you know when someone's meant for you versus out of convenience or scared to like leave a situation because you'll be alone? How do you know when it's something that you should actually see through? I have let some friendships go over the last 15, 20 years. And I think one of the key things I'm now trying to really hone in on in my 30s is how do I feel when I'm with you? Mm -hmm. Because there are friendships that you realize are based on convenience, but it's really only when the aspect of that situation changes. Like, I was a really active member in an organization in college. And then every now and again, I'll get back together with some of those people. And you kind of run out of things to talk about after about 15 mm-hmm. or 20 minutes. And it's great to see them again. And you're mm-hmm. invested in like their life. And I wish them nothing but the best. But you're like, we don't have to have like an ongoing, like we're not texting each other frequently, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. My My standard for a friendship is always, if I go two or three months without talking to you. And then we talk again. Does it feel cumbersome? Because my best friends in the world, I could go. Yeah. It's funny. I will engage day to day with people that like don't mean the world to me, but the people that mean the absolute world to me, I will like not talk to for like two months. Are you talking about us, Adam? My God. Is that why we haven't heard from you? (laughs) And then pick up the phone and talk to and then talk for like an hour and a half and it Ashley, feels like nothing. we mean the world to him. How does it feel? <laughs> the whole world tied with a bow. <laughs> I also think that, and this is, I, when I say this, I'm talking about Abby and like our core group of college friends, that there's like no skin in the game. Like we're all spread out across America, but we're so entwined in the daily happenings of each other's lives still, where it actually means something versus just a passive person where it just mm. is obviously out of convenience right. and entertainment and in-person entertainment and all that i'm going through this a little bit too as moving to a new city where all of my friends are new all of them Mm -hmm. everyone i meet they they don't know my backstory they don't know who i am they don't know what i'm about and so everything that i present to them in our few first times of meeting is what they're going to form their opinion of me on and me of them and so i've been really in tune with how do i feel around this person as well because if i'm going to make friends in a new city i sure as hell i'm not going to waste my time hanging out with people who don't make me feel good about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, what I want, what they want, any of that. And I was just having this conversation with my boyfriend, actually, because he is introduced to a lot of my new friends as well, like when we go out on the weekends or whatever. And he asked me about someone and was like, why don't you hang out with this person anymore? Like, I feel bad. Like, you kind of ghosted her. And my response was, well, whenever I am around this girl, I feel anxious. Name and names. I have, she listens and she'll call you out later. It's a I'm test. not naming <laughs> names. But when I, if somebody is around you and it makes you feel anxious, I don't think there's any use nope. or need to pursue a friendship there when there are so many other friendships to have be had. And Adam has a very 
inquisitive look on his face, he might think that I'm wrong, but that's my view of it anyway. It's not just like, let's cut them off. Let's not care about them. But it's also like, if I'm spending my time with you and you're making me feel anxiety, which I have enough anxiety as it is, I don't need more of it. There, why would I not seek out other friendships and pour my time and my effort into friendships where I don't feel that way, I guess. Yeah. No, I think I was responding to, I was kind of relaying it to myself a little bit. I will encourage you just a little to kind of explore what the root of that anxiousness is, because it may have nothing to do with that person. Mm. And it may be like something that they're doing, or it could be like, are they breaking a boundary that you have? Do they, are they showing that they're not trustworthy? Like, what is that for you? Because that can be productive. But I will say to someone in his thirties, like, I don't feel the need to like I'm very friendly but I have very few friends Mm -hmm. that's like I was listening to a podcast recently and I think it was Kara's were or um already friends and they had on a friendship coach and she was talking about how everyone comes to her and she they say do you I want more friends I want more friends but she tells them do you want more actual friends to fulfill an emotional need or do you just want more fillers to do activities with because that's a big difference and I think mm. there are there's space for both of those. There's kinds space of for both, for sure. And well, I thought about that, and I was like, no, I just want more fillers. Like I'm at my emotional <laughs> capacity, really. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I just want more entertainment. So there's so a lot of interpersonal relational scholars have looked into this, and a lot of the research supports. Let me put on my PhD hat for a minute. Um, that you can only sustain quality relationships about five. I agree. Yeah. Like really mutually fulfilling. You are in vet, like that's about all you can handle. Then you have what I call, I we started, I started using this phrase in high school. I call them satellite friends. Like you have your core kind of mm-hmm. nucleus. Are of these people. the baskets that different baskets? Yes. Are we do the baskets. That's yeah. how we view it. <laughs> yeah, I, I call, or sometimes I'm like, okay, there's the main cast. And then we have guest stars. I like um, that. Abby like and I are going to run. Abby and I are going to run with that. Screw the basket. Any we television or movie reference, but like hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> because like I grew up and like Friends was the anchoring show of our of my friend group from high school, and like we're all still best friends. And I would often be like, okay, so you have like Monica, Rachel, Chandler, Joey, Phoebe, and then you have like the guest stars, and sometimes mm-hmm. you have a returning guest star, right? Like Janice mm-hmm. would come in, and they'd be like, great, but also it gives <laughs> your friend group something to talk about because you're like. If there's not that peppering of drama from other people, yes. you create drama amongst yourselves. Totally. But the other thing I wanted to, to say, though, uh, Abby, about that, the idea of moving to a new city and then everything you show to these people are going to form what forms you. That couldn't be further from what actually happens about how we reform relationships. So again, I'm going to put on my PhD hat for a minute. Please do. I feel like I'm in therapy. Yeah. There's a concept called uncertainty reduction theory. And basically it says that human beings bond in relationships and they're motivated by a desire to reduce their uncertainty. And the number one ways in which relationships form is through disclosure. I, I'm, I've i been thrown back to calm theory first semester junior year. I've been yes. thrown. You've been thrown. But what all that is, all that those big words basically means the is that- The more you share about each other, the closer you feel- the closer you feel yeah, and that they're motivated because so what you present to them like front stage is not going to be the final version of you. It's going to make them curious. It's going to attract them for sure. But there are going to be one or two people. I am a big advocate for Abby, you doing exactly what 
you're doing now, which is at various points in your life, you need to go to a city where you know no one and basically start over. Because learning how to make new friends is a really difficult thing. Mm -hmm. But once you do it, you will know forever that you know how to start over. Like I know that if everything in my life blew up and I got divorced and had to leave Tuscaloosa and move somewhere else, I know at my core, I'd be fine because Mm -hmm. I have started over so many different times in my life that like that prospect doesn't scare me in the way that it did when I was like 21. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And I think a lot of people in our generation, I've seen at least in our pre, you know, pandemic world, that's our postgrad world is pandemic world. People have been taking more risks, I've noticed. And I don't know if that's a trend that's going to continue, but I sure as hell like it right now because I knew from the moment I, the first trip we went on in Nashville, which was right before senior year, that I wanted to move here or at least potentially move here post-grad. It took me a little bit longer than I wanted to get out here, but I just had that in my mind. And I was like, I'm just going to go. I'm going to pack up all my stuff. I don't have any friends. I don't have any family. I don't have a hot boyfriend that likes Yellowstone, but I'm just going to go. And I'm going to figure it out. And I feel like now I resonate so much with what you're saying. Like if I had to do this again, I know I could. In the vein of friendships, how do you know when it's kind of okay to let go of an old friendship and migrate to new ones? Like you meet new people, you want to invest in those people harder, make them your core five, like you were saying, potentially, how do you know to kind of not drop, but like this person isn't filling me up in the way I need to be filled up? Red flags, red flags in friendship. Yeah, yeah I red think flags in friendship. It's gonna be so hard for me not to give examples here, <laughs> and, and give them. <laughs> Don't worry, thirty-five um, year old isn't really our target audience. They won't hear. <laughs> I think sometimes you know, like we we talk a lot about ghosting, right? But like sometimes there are friendship, there are friendships that are not good for you. And they're not fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And you know that because like, like, and honestly, Abby, to your point, like there was, I was involved in like a community of people and it was related, like kind of an offshoot of work, but I didn't like who I was when I was with them. Mm -hmm. I didn't like how I felt when I was with them. And I was like, maybe I just don't have to be friends with these people as much anymore. I don't have to invest in them emotionally anymore because I have like my core group of folks, but I've also had that experience when somebody close to you disappoints you and you know, you're in a different place in your life and you know that you can't be friends with them in the way that you were, or you realize maybe this relationship was really one-sided and it didn't Mm -hmm. serve that. Now the instinct is to say, I need to like call them out on this and like have a discussion, but sometimes you can honestly just let go. In my experience, and maybe this is wrong, I let those people go and I just kind of waited to see what their response would be. Like, did they notice? Were they aware that I had pulled back? And when they didn't, and when there was absolutely no reaction, I was like, okay. And now I can make room in my life for other people. It was still hard. It was still really tragic. And it's like this person played a really big role in a part of my life. But I also think, okay, part of this is because we consume a diet of narratives of like TV that tells you that the friendship group you form in high school and college are going to be your friendship group forever. And these other people 
will never. And it's true. There is nothing like your old friends, but there's also like people come into your life for a reason and a season. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's okay for that to be temporary. It's okay for people to be like, I was with this kind of group and it was fun. And, but it doesn't have to like advance to something more. It's kind of like dating, right? Like you can date people and it doesn't turn into a serious relationship because you're like, and the way that you do that is not by ghosting them of like, just because ghosting is like, you're the most important person to me. I love you. You're my best friend in the world. And then no talking like that's ghosting. Right. But there's like a gradual kind of withdraw from something to see is there something here? Do I miss you? Is this matter? Like, do you miss me? Especially the transition of high school friends 14 to 24 is such a different mindset versus I think I might be wrong, but like 22 to 32, of course you're different, but it's not nearly as drastic as 14 to 24. You're mm-hmm. a completely different person from your high school friends versus at the like more you get into your 20s. And it's okay if those people, like my sister is two years older than me. So she's 38 and her, she had like a core group of girls from college that like they got together like once a year, their lives have taken very different paths and she's not as close with some of them as she was, you know, maybe 10 years ago. Um, And it's okay. They all have their own lives. They have their families. They have the group of people that they're around. I mean, so much of, of friendships are about serving our needs of where we are and we need community. And I think something unique about both of our generations is that like the generations before us, when they moved to different places, they wasn't expected that they would like literally stay connected with their day-to-day people all of the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they were like, yeah, I lived in the city now and I have a new friend and it's cool. Like it's crazy to me that some of my best friends in Tuscaloosa weren't even I wasn't close with them like when I got married, like they weren't in my wedding and there are people in my wedding that I no longer talk to. Like, wow, that's crazy. What I'm getting is I need to be very selective about my bridal party. <laughs> I mean, a, a, you do. Um, honestly, <laughs> that's why I'm ready to have like 13 bridesmaids. Or no, something. no, oh my it's going to be like seven. Really? When, yeah. yeah. What's I think I, have, like, do? <laughs> I had six. I think I had six people on my side and I will say I'm like still really, really close with four of them. I can't even imagine more than six people that I'd even want. I can okay. name your six right now. Yeah. Mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, Crazy. That kind of goes into the vein of something else I wanted to bring up, which is everyone, especially for our generation on TikTok, is saying, put yourself first, be selfish with your times, have boundaries. But how do you kind of meet that intersection of being selfish and putting your happiness first with also taking care of the people that you love because you can take that to the extreme and like stomp all over the people you love because you're like I must put myself first my happiness is always key and I think that in some ways it could be a little toxic for more so for our generation on TikTok where it's like you are the end all be all which is true but also you can't just cast to the curb every person that means something to you Mm. I don't know. I think I stumped him. The man was too stunned to speak. See, what's interesting about this question is that like, I am now in my life trying to understand boundaries. Like I've been reading this book called Set Boundaries, Mm -hmm. Have Peace. See, I think our generation takes boundaries too far in some ways. Yes. Like like, I don't owe anyone anything except for myself. I think, I think your generation is also explained by the popularization of their, of therapeutic language. Like my gen, like the, like, 
even everything that you're we've saying we've been right coddled now. and our hands have been held no no i literally mean like the language and the tools that people learn in therapy are now part of a popular lexicon on on tiktok and social oh, media yes yes and then stigma's gone but as a result though like <laughs> What we know about language is the more you repeat something, the less meaning that it has. Mm-hmm. So like the like the concept of boundaries is like a really important thing, but now like we use it all the time. Like the same way we use like depression and anxiety. Like we just use them for absolutely everything. And my my best friend Sam graduated medical school two years ago and is now a psych resident. And so like he will sometimes be like, so you understand what clinical, like, like if you ask me like what anxiety is, I'm going to tell you what it means from a clinical perspective, like from a person who can write you meds. Here is what this is versus like, we're just out here being like, I feel sad. I'm depressed. Oh my gosh. You should hear Like I I said the other day, like, Oh, I'm I'm, I'm such a manic state right now. He's like, okay, Adam, (laughs) I work at a mental hospital. Um, and let me tell you what manic looks like. It typically looks like um, like delusions of grandeur, like like a woman who believed she could transportal herself, transportal, transport herself through time. Like that's mm. that's what a manic yeah. state looks like. Um, actually, Euphoria does a good job of showing what that looks like. Honestly. Oh, we could talk about um, that after. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all have highs and lows, and I feel like some people are afraid yeah. of the feelings. But I feel like, but like, okay, so this is a this is a triggering question for me because I know that in my early relationships, and even in like the early part of my marriage, I didn't put myself first at all. Um, I was consumed with the idea that I had to, like, someone else had like. And so I was like, I need to be focused on them because I don't want them to not love me, right? So like, we have to unpack where that comes from. Um, You're but such I also a giver, think- Adam. Such a giver. I think this is also like a millennial versus whatever we are standpoint. But at the same time, <laughs> Abby. But at the same time, Abby, I think that you and I and most of our friends are fairly self confident. So that's why it's kind of like put yourself first versus not. But but also like a relationship is about a give and a take. Yeah. Um, and yes, you can put yourself first, but sometimes a relationship means a sacrifice. It means doing things that you wouldn't norm. like so many people I know in their marriages, you know, one person gets a job and they have to move and, or one person's career is, I, I often use a metaphor and maybe this is outdated, but my experience has been in a relationship. One person is always in the driver's seat. It just depends on, and that can change, but like, one person's career is kind of driving things. One person's got to steer the car. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, honestly, um, it can be hard, but I also know a lot of people who lose themselves in their relationships. Right. So it's about sitting in the trunk. (laughs) Yes. I love an extended metaphor. Yes. They're Uh. not providing, they're not backseat driving from the passenger seat. They're just laying down in the trunk, letting the other person take them wherever they may go. Uh, He's positioning for a guest speaker lecture. (laughs) I love I think, analogies. <laughs> I think it's also about like with everything, it's about balance. And I think the key to balance is good communication. So it's like, if you feel like you are losing yourself, do you have the confidence in your relationship to say, I feel like I'm losing myself and I need to do X, Y, and Z. Or if you are a partner and the person's taking things like, oh, I need to put myself first. But as mm-hmm. a result, they never can be with that person. Like, um, I'm guilty of this to a certain extent. Like I would be so focused on for a while there. I was so focused on like saying yes to every opportunity 
that I forgot that like Chris's love language is quality time. And so we weren't doing a whole lot together, but because he never complained about that. So now I'm more cognizant of like, like last night he wanted to watch this awful Sandra Bullock movie. And I'm like, what you, what you want? Unforgivable. Oh my God. It's okay. So You're being a little harsh. <laughs> I thought it was good. Awful. You thought it was awful. It wasn't the best. Anywho, anyway, Chris wanted to watch a terrible movie, and you said, okay. okay. I, was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to watch this movie. Right yeah. Now, right? Um, I just because- watched a Western from the 90s called Tombstone, or is anyone familiar? Nope. Yes, Tombstone. It's a good movie. I would have never chosen to watch that, but Miller wanted to watch it, and I said, okay. And so- then later we watched Crazy Rich Asians, and you know what? A give, and it's a take. It's a given. It's it is a given. It's a take, and so you have to like. I think putting yourself first is not like literally. I can only do what's best for me in every situation, but putting yourself first might be like I have to advocate for myself mm-hmm. and then be willing to talk about what my needs are. But that okay. first means like, but that presumes you know what your needs are. Right. Putting yourself first might mean exploring what you need and Let's what be you a little introspective. Let's figure out what we want. What do we I don't want? I feel like I just hear so many clips from Untamed, Glennon Doyle, where it's like, <laughs> you must put your happiness before anyone else that exists on the face of this earth. And I just think it's selfish, especially when you have a family and kids, but that's a conversation for a whole other time. Well, okay. But like, as a caveat, as a thing to that, because I love, I love Glennon Doyle and Untamed. Okay. One helpful provision is that, like, you have to model the behavior that you want your children to see, especially if you have kids. Um, Because I grew up with a mother who was absolutely the quintessential paragon of sacrificial mother. Like, Mm -hmm. my mom was a saint. She put absolutely everyone before herself. And... And so you did, too. And so I did, too. And then when I... And it's interesting because, like, her and I had a relationship conflict when I started to... When I stopped doing that. Mm. when I started to like, when I started to advocate for myself and to be better with my boundaries and to also make different choices than my parents made. Um, We had a relationship conflict through that. Um, Mm. We're fine now, but like I saw the ways in which my mom's continual sacrifice. And then, you know, those didn't always lead to a reward that leads to resentment, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're like, Mm. I give you when I give you when I give you. And then like, what does that look like? And it's like, no, like, you are the only person, whether it's work or your relationship, that can be responsible for your happiness. So like yeah. you have to communicate what what your happiness looks like and to work on that and to say, I'm not happy. But sometimes, especially in a long relationship, that sunken opportunity cost, saying like, hey, I, I'm really unhappy is the hardest thing to say because right. like that means an uncomfortable conversation. But in any successful relationship, I feel like you have to have those conversations. I've had them. A lot of people I know who are married have had them of like, But me in Enneagram 8 is totally comfortable having that conversation. I have no issues, but I cannot imagine. Sometimes I think about it and I'm like, I don't know why I am the way I am exactly, but I'm like, how hard would it be to go through life and not be able to be comfortable enough to like express your needs or your feelings. And that's like probably the majority of people. I think I grew up, I I am a middle child. B, both my parents were were working all the time. So it's latchkey kids. And we grew up economically insecure and my dad was never around. So it was like, it was always, you have to take care of yourself. And so as a result though, like I also get weird and triggered when like people need me. (laughs) Like I'm like, 
don't need uh, now I feel like I'm in therapy. Um, <laughs> Lay it like, on us. <laughs> like, do not do not need me right now. But it's interesting because I talk to my sister about this a lot. And like she's a mom and she has kids and she's like, everyone needs me all the time. Yeah. No one ever. And so like I have to tell my sister, like, hey, like it's okay. Like she's like, I just feel bad, like I want to go on a run. Nicole, go on a run. Like, go do the things that you really want to do for yourself. Yeah. But it's a balance because the world tells you you like and and I don't know. That's a. I think that that cross pollinates with gender, so it's probably not something I should speak on because I'm not a woman. So anyway, we trust you more than we trust ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we should switch back to more of like an overarching. What would you tell yourself in your 20s? There was a good question on this list too. Like when you look back at Adam in your mid 20s, are you like? oh, sweet boy, so naive and embarrassing. Or are you like nostalgic for that place? Or what do you think of when you look back at your 20s? Well, when I look back at myself at 16, I it I think of it as like a naive, like, yeah, let me take care of you. Like that was so sweet. And I don't know. More but like nostalgia? Not, nostalgia. I'm not embarrassed by it, but. No, I look at it like you were so weak. my goodness (laughs) like you were so weak i was so weak and i didn't understand it then but so so much of what drove 80 percent of my actions was an inherent lack of self self self-worth almost everything i did was about getting that validation from anyone and everyone i could doing everything that was expected of me um being in relationships that i did not enjoy or were fulfilled by but i loved the idea of the validation that having a relationship gave me like i was doing all these things because i wasn't strong enough to just like actually love and accept who i was but also realize how much of myself was malleable and changeable Mm -hmm. like i think we think of ourselves especially like in our 20s as like i am this finished product like Like, fixed we're fixed in this position we're in right now and, and, and that just could not be farther from the truth. And I, I just, I look back at it and I'm like, oh, like you were so like, na- like I could look at it like, like naive, but I'm also like, no, that version of myself, like knew exactly what they were doing, but I wish I could tell them now, like you are enough. You can do whatever you want. You really can. You do not. Everything I did was so mired in fear. I look at that. And I, I, and I'm in a way I'm grateful for it because my life has been a a, a nice like evolution like a, a a straight line curve right like I mean the ups and downs. Thankfully, I didn't have this like oh my god my glory days like like I want oh. I'm not I'm not that person desperate to try to get back to this like younger version of myself where I was happier. It's like no like I was so so incredibly insecure and I and all of it was in my head. All of it, one hundred percent of it was in my head. Yeah. So, if for someone who feels kind of those feelings currently in their twenties, kind of a low self worth, what would be your advice now to kind of jumpstart the quote unquote like fixing it? If you can learn to change or control one thing in your life, then you will learn to change and control everything in your life. Please elaborate. That was so concise. And the reason why I've been able to unpack this is like once I got in a stable relationship and once like Chris and I got engaged, I then started being able to work on myself because I knew that I was in a relationship. I like, I knew I had that like person that was going to love me no matter what. 
And it's no coincidence that then I started thriving Mm -hmm. because I had this like solid foundation. So for me, it was like, okay, what if I change? Like, honestly, it was when I started getting my like nutrition under control and I learned like all these things that I thought were just permanent about me, about like the way that I appeared or the what the way I did things. Like, I guess I would say this at some point in your mid to late twenties, you'll probably realize not knowing something doesn't absolve you from the consequences of not knowing it. So whether it's like money or exercise or diet or faith or whatever. It's like not being raised in or a house. the internet, not, knowing how to use Google Maps. <laughs> yes. Like whatever it is, it's like not being raised in a household that, that, or a circumstance that, that valued blank doesn't mean you can't learn that. Like for me, it was like, I was raised in a household where we ate like crap. Nobody exercised. No one talked about our health in any way. And then I started like, I, I changed that. And, and I, I say this in a narrative about controlling something, but it could be like taking control of your finances. Mm -hmm. It could be like, oh, I learned I could start saving money. It could be, I learned how to code. It could like, once you learn something to change or control some aspect of your life and you start like internalizing that I can take control of things, all of a sudden you then begin to change every other part of your life because you realize every part of my life is changeable. And when you do that, you have such power. So I would say to somebody like listening to this who kind of feels like they doubt themselves is A, it is 100% in your head. It The world doesn't see you the way that you see yourself. So you have to change the way that you see yourself. So whether that's like, for me, that was taking actions that took care of myself made me change the way I looked in the mirror. I read the book, You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Love that, that book. A- Love it life changer. I started applying that. Like I will write positive things about myself on a mirror until like, and I would say that to myself until I started loving myself. When you love yourself, you suddenly, your, your source of power changes. Like Mm -hmm. I'll give an example. Like I used to do this thing where before I did anything, I would feel the need, the deep need to ask everybody else around me how to do that thing. Because I wanted to like, well, like, how do you like, how are you going to do this? How are you going to I want to make sure I was doing it like, right. Like if I was at a restaurant, I would ask everyone else what they were going to order before I ordered, because I never trusted my own decisions, right? When all of a sudden, a switch flipped for me where I realized like, no, I have the answer. Like, I have an answer. It may not be the answer, but Mm -hmm. I have an answer. All of my source of like, self confidence and self empowerment literally comes from that of like, no, like, Like, Ashley, like you have a particular take on things. Mm -hmm. Your take's going to be different than my take. But like, if you mold yourself based on what everybody else tells you to be, you will never be yourself. You will, you will not be, you will be everyone else, but you. And the minute you are you, that's where your magic happened. That's beautiful. (laughs) That's really beautiful. I was listening to a podcast with a similar vein where it was saying that at the bottom, bottom line try to take control of the first parts of your morning and if you can have control of the first parts of your morning i think it was lauren bostic the first parts of your morning then you can slowly take control of x y and z in your life too but if you have those first Mm. 20 minutes maybe to control then that gives you the confidence to build upon to control the rest of your good life supports that too it's like the first part of your day and the last part of your day and i think another part about kind of forming that confidence in yourself too is 
keeping the promises that you make to yourself. So it's a favorite. (laughs) Yeah. First of all, knowing that you're malleable and that you're going to change and that you can change is like a freeing thought, right? Just to think that, God, this isn't all there is. Like I can just wake up tomorrow and be a different person if I want to, because that is within me. I have that power within me. But also in order to kind of sustain that mindset, keeping the promises that you make to yourself. So if you say, I'm going to start going to the gym or I'm going to go to the gym today, you book a workout class and you go, you kept that promise. If you say in the new year, I'm going to start making my bed every day and you start doing it. That's a small thing that you keep that promise that you made to yourself that you completed one task of the day. Now you can go complete more and be productive. Mm -hmm. And it's just it compounds in that way as long as you just keep pushing yourself and nobody's going to be perfect. You're not always going to make your perfect gym and like eat perfectly and whatever your personal goals are. But as long as you're doing it consistently, it really helps at least for me in the confidence department, because I used to be terrified of working out and I don't even know where that little fear came (laughs) from, but I just used to think it was the most intimidating thing in the world, even though I was an athlete my whole life. So like, let me know. But in college, for some reason, it was like this huge, huge hurdle that I just never thought that I would accomplish. And I mean, over quarantine, that was like the best thing that ever happened to me. I just threw myself into fitness. And for different people, that looks completely different, different things, different passions. But I just kept that promise that I made to myself that I'm going to no, I'm going to become this person. I always looked at gym people, quote unquote, like the gym's my happy place. I'm like, those people are nuts, like Mm. nuts. I hate working out. It's awful. I feel like shit. I don't want to go and do that. And then now I like fully understand it because one day I just told myself I'm going to become the gym person slowly, but surely. And now I am. So. That's like those that cheesy TikTok about making your bed in the morning where it's like if everything else goes absolutely wrong to shit in your day. But at the very end of it, at least you made your bed and you can get back into it. Yeah, just small things. And I read a book by John Acuff called Finish. And in it, he talks about this research that like the most important day is the day after perfect. Like mm-hmm. if you're like, oh, I'm going to make my bed every day. Most important day is the day after the day you forget to do it. Because I like that. the day after you forget to do it is when you're like, well, like I already get like I already screwed up, right? So it's like, oh, if you if your goal was like I'm gonna drink not dr- drink during the week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like, oh, the first time you had a glass of wine on a Wednesday, now, well, whatever, it's done. Like, or <laughs> I you ate pizza this whatever. Like, it's all about the consistency mm-hmm. that you do rather than, and it's about the sum total. So it's like, okay. You could quit after you stop doing it after a week, but if you get back on the horse, you've now done it like 13 times instead of 14 Mm -hmm. and 13 times you're doing something is so much better. It's also, I think it's important to tell everybody this when you go through that kind of like fundamental change and it's going to hit everybody at some point in time in your, especially in that post-grad life, you're going to have those like aha moments when you're like, I'm going to do this. It's going to make people in your immediate circle uncomfortable. And because it doesn't matter they don't what recognize of, that side of you. They don't recognize that side of you. And it is triggering some sense of their own insecurity about themselves. Like I talk about this a lot of like when I started changing my diet, all of a sudden everyone had things to say about what I was eating. And it's funny, How they never annoying. had... When I when I was eating a personal pan pizza from Hungry Howie's and three Diet Mountain Dews every single day for lunch. Stop, I'm, I'm not were? kidding. 
Oh yeah. Like that was my my first year of my PhD program. That is all I was eating every day for lunch. I was like, I'd walk down the street, get a personal pizza, come (laughs) back to the lab and start back like reading like articles and stuff. And no one ever said a word to me about what I ate. The minute that I was like, oh, I brought like strawberry. Like, and I wouldn't like make a performance out of it. I brought my cooler and I had like my little like protein bar and some fruit and some like nuts and some stuff. They're like, oh my God, like, look at you with like your rabbit food. Like we'd invite you to lunch, but we know you brought your cooler, right? Like doing like all of (laughs) this this kind of thing. And I just find that fascinating, but it's a testament of like, whether it's, you're going to start going to therapy or you start setting boundaries or you're going to start um, reading development and listening to podcasts about your post-grad life, whatever it is that you're doing. It's why I tell people like, I'm a big believer in moving in silence. When you are making big changes in your life, don't tell a lot of people. Let them see the result. I think about it like like mainstream artists. Like I have a couple projects. Like everything we see in pop culture was created by somebody a year before you actually see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about that in terms of like like our lives. Like when I was going through my big like fitness transformation, I like logged off of all social media for like two months and didn't post for a while, and then like got back on. It was a thing. And now it's a part of my lifestyle, whether it's anything like that. I think when you change as a person, it will reveal the people that are going to be with you long haul and the people that are there for convenience. Because some of the relationships that I had when Mm -hmm. I was different, and not just in terms of like physically, but also mentally, um, I don't have anymore. And it's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't have pain over that loss. Um, I think subconsciously people can get very envious of others when you see them accomplishing something that you wish you could accomplish when people actually start to make those changes to better their lives in whatever aspect it might be. Maybe that's something that directly affects them because they want to do those things, but they haven't gotten off the couch to do them basically. So I feel like something I've noticed in the whole comparison bubble is when, when certain people start to thrive, those people that wish they could be doing those things start to become envious or making fun of your rabbit food or not inviting you to lunch because you have your cooler all that kind of thing or that's like the saying that everyone makes fun of you until you're successful and then no one's making fun of you everyone wants to be your friend this is so true because i was that person for a long time making fun of people who were like putting themselves out there on the internet like making cringy things mm-hmm. like selling stuff so brave. i was that person i was like i was like no i was making fun of that person like yeah. like like there was a friend group and it was funny because at the same time you're a hundred percent right about it. It's about, they wish that they could do that because when I started to like make content on TikTok, the first thought in my head was all the things that people had said about all the other people that I had participated in and that I had said mm-hmm. and making fun of those people. I was like, Oh my God, like there's a person in my life. And I literally thought of they're the voice I will hear in my head of like, oh my God, that like that's so embarrassing. Like, don't you have better things to then everything everything takes off, right? TikTok starts blowing up, everything like I I am I love it. Yeah. And then that happened where like that group of friend groups like started making fun of it and it did not phase me at all because I was like, yeah. I don't I actually don't care. Like, you know, sometimes you say like, Oh, I don't care. No, I cared. It's but in, so freeing to not it's care. It's so freeing when you're and like so difficult to do. Because you're like, you don't get it. This isn't about you. And I was, in one of the instances, I even reached out to that person and I was like, just so you know, I think about the comments you say to me on a regular basis. So if you could not like say those kinds of things to me, like it would really, and he was like, oh my God, I had no idea. I had no idea that like, that's like, I never wanted you to think that. 
you are, and again, it goes back to like, you're responsible for your own happiness, but. But you set those boundaries, you communicated. to do, it's always going to look a little weird to everybody else. But like, as long as like, it feels true to you, you're always like, that's, that's Mm -hmm. the only person you have to live with at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure people look at some of my videos and they're like, oh my God, like so cringe. And I'm sure even me, when I look back at certain things I wore or posted or whatever, you'll send me your stuff sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's so funny because I'll evolve and I'll grow and I'll change and I'll look back at previous me and be like, that is so cringe. But in the moment, I thought I was the shit. And that's all that matters. Isn't that beautiful though? Like, isn't that amazing to be able to go back and be like, look how look how much I've changed, look how different things are. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, look how much we 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 grow and those kind of things. Like that's I think that's amazing. I think yeah. it's also I talked about this recently, like a friend of mine died about eleven ten years ago. I'm so and sorry. every year we go back and I watch his like spoof video that he put on I saw YouTube. your video about this yeah. in like 2008 on like survivor man peoria yeah and i swear like that video is so valuable to me because he's being his like ridiculous goofy self that he was in that time and i just am so grateful that like that exists so like i don't know i think about this a lot about like don't hide yourself like oh, i don't look good i shouldn't take this but it's like no like take that because like Think of all the pictures we have of our parents where mm-hmm. they look awful, but we, those are our favorite pictures of them. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Yeah. How do we fall in love with just keeping our own company? And if in life, if you are ever like feeling lonely on like this weekend and you try to convince yourself, no, but it's okay. Like it's great to be alone sometimes. How do you kind of, I don't know, trick yourself into actually loving being alone or loving your own company how do you convince yourself this night in is a good thing (laughs) i will i will will be an absolute liar if i try to pretend like i'm good at this yeah no i'm the worst i'm 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 ready to like end it all i just i can't handle it i'm terrible at it and like tiktok is really bad for me about that because it makes me feel like i should be doing something Mm -hmm. i'll record some content or we're so obsessed with productivity we are and or nine times out of ten i'm like i'll go live because i'm bored Mm -hmm. like yeah a few years ago i'd never been 10 years ago i'd never gone to like a movie by myself and a friend challenged me to do it and i'd never gone to a restaurant by myself and a friend challenged me to do it and i'll tell you a good friend it is the most incredible thing like honestly i don't enjoy going to movies with people anymore because i'm like no when you go by yourself like I am only concerned with my response to this. I think you have to like adopt a persona. I sometimes like pretend to be somebody else just to like oh, get me through the discomfort of it. You're like, I'm going to pretend to be someone who loves to do things by myself. Uh-huh. Honestly. Yeah. Or like a lot of times it happened when I was traveling a lot for work where I would like have to like go to different places to do like speaking engagements and stuff. I would be alone for like two hours of the day and then be in front of like 300 people. no, I'm living a fabulous life right now. Like that's easier to do when you're in a, a, like when you're somewhere else, when you're in your own place, that's really, really hard to like. Yeah. Cause sometimes you do something and you're like, God, it would be so much better if so-and-so was here to tell them about it or experience it with them. And like, you just know the capacity for how much better it could be versus Mm. what it truly is when it's just you. Okay. I, I'm a big fan of, especially if I'm somewhere new or like, I'm just like in a rut where I'm feeling lonely. I will have one of those days where I'm like, where is the universe going to take me? This this works really well in a, in a bigger city, I will say. I'm going to go to a restaurant and I'm going to talk. I'm going to sit here at the bar okay. and I'm going to talk and chat it up with somebody else who's here. And then I'll see where that conversation leads. 
And then they might invite me to come down here. I'm like, where are you all hanging out later? Like, and I have found myself on adventures in a way, but like, you know, we, we joke about main character energy, but like, imagine yourself in like an episode mm-hmm. of like a, a limited series dramedy, right? Mm-hmm. Like not, not a full on like sitcom, right? But like, where are you going? What is this? Where are you headed? Where's the I'm narrative not. arc? That's fun. If you start at 5 p.m. and just see where you, it could possibly take you. <laughs> yeah. Bigger or better. You're like, do you want to exchange this champagne glass for something bigger or better? <laughs> yes. Or like, I want to try out this new restaurant. Um, bringing a book will help, I would say, rather than being on your phone. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's so main character reading a book in public. And people will, will be intrigued. People yes. will be intrigued. Okay, I will say this. Here's my other trick. If you're like eating at a restaurant by yourself, dress the fuck up. Okay. Like, you look important and people want dress to dress up. Look like you have just like come from like a real estate gig. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like like dress up and then people you people will treat you differently and you will feel powerful. And it's like, yes, I am here. And then chat up the waiter of like, okay, server, like what's good here tell me more like, I'm i in love doing that i love it I love it's her. so but i'm an extrovert so that's very fulfilling uh-huh. the harder challenge for me is like rest rest is hard i i will say in terms of like taking that night in i would give yourself like i used to call them guilty pleasures but now i'll call them like reserve pleasures like okay. they're not like everyday things so for me it's like uninterrupted reading is to me a very pleasurable thing because I don't do it very often. So, but to force myself, I will say I'm going, my goal for this night is I'm going to read for a full hour. That's like, I will put a timer on and I will not get up and I will like have a glass of like red wine. I'll put Mm -hmm. on like a nice, like jazz soundtrack. and I will sit there with a blanket and like, that's my life. (laughs) Or there's like certain, um, there's certain shows like when you're in a relationship like Chris and I have shows we watch together, but then yeah. I have shows that are just for me. But I think you also have to like do your homework a little bit. So, so for me, when I was traveling a lot in the morning, I would go like run around my hotel mm-hmm. and I would like look for spots I wanted to check out later so that I could be like, Ooh, I want to go to that coffee shop or, Ooh, I want to go to that restaurant. So like that, that helps. Okay. Transitioning a little bit just to an overarching theme advice for people in your twenties what is just some good advice you've heard lately or that you've taken with you that you think would be important for someone in their 20s to know literally about anything under the sun doesn't need to be relationships, personal self growth, just anything that kind of has resonated with you that you think people would benefit from hearing at the stage in our life. Continually ask yourself the question, what would it look like if this were easier? I recently read a book that helped that, that gave me this and it was like, we often think that the important things in our life have to be really complicated and difficult and that the unimportant things have to be easy. But sometimes what if we flip that and how could we in a work situation, what would this look like if it were easy? If this were easy, we would just do this. Well then why don't we do that? Or why don't we make the conditions possible where we could do that? Mm-hmm. Like what if it were easier is, is a really powerful question. And the other one, best piece of advice I got from the book, Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle that I listened to on audiobook one day. And the question is like, what is your problem at this exact moment? How exact are we getting? In this precise moment. So what I mean by that is like most of us are either projecting into the future, 
our problems of like, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? Or we are ruminating on our past. Mm -hmm. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this happened. But in each of those situations, you are occupying a present in which you are either thinking about the future or you are thinking about the past. And most of the time you are not inhabiting a present moment. And so if you like are overwhelmed with a problem, just think like, what is my problem in this exact moment? My best friend, Brittany, is a new mom. And it's really hard to be- God bless her. Right? It's really hard to be a parent. But it's also hard to be a parent in an age where you have access to unlimited information. So there's confusing ideas about like, what is what does it mean to do this? Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. And so she's like, well, I don't want to do this. But then I was like, Brittany, what is your problem in this exact moment? And she said, my problem in this exact moment is my kid is crying. I need to make him stop. Okay then deal with that first. That's like compartmentalizing. Or it's also just like, sometimes it's like, well, what if this happens? Well, is that my problem right now? No. Song for another time. Like I, I have used this a lot of, I'm like, okay, I am react. Sometimes I, my anxiety will have me react to something before there is something to react to, because I believe I have to be prepared for absolutely every response in every situation. So I think through, what if I do this? What if I do this? What if I do this? What if this? And I'm like, but what is my problem right now? Right now? And there's nothing right now. There is no problem because I haven't gone to that meeting yet. So maybe I wait until I go to the meeting before I respond to what that thing is. Because the same brain that is able to, in the night before, run through every scenario and how I respond to it in about 30 seconds is also capable of responding in the moment in 30 seconds to what it will happen. And then you're only responding to like one thing instead of the 60 that it could be. I will be honest though, every one of those like videos I've done of like things I wish I would have known in my 20s are me realizing something now in my 30s. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're just lucky because we're getting a jump start on it. We're picking yeah. the brains and we're trying to do the work now. And those two things I just said are literally just testimonies of like what I'm trying to work through right now. Do, right. You, um, do you journal? How do you go? I feel like you do. So I would say like making TikToks for me is a form of journaling. Almost every video I will go on a walk and I will think about like, like what are they going on in my life? I've had to really work on myself because you think that like you're going to like arrive at this moment at some point in time and then be like, okay, like I am good. I am I've now. Made but like your circumstances will change and then you're going to have to adapt to those and be like, you're just, you constantly are going to have to, to construct yourself and then deconstruct yourself and then reconstruct yourself there's no like idealized version coming like basically we're all houses and you have to like renovate your kitchen every now and again and that part is destructive but then like different people will occupy your house i think we've given a lot of really good book recommendations throughout this conversation and now i think it's time for you to pimp yourself out um, where can the people find you on Instagram and TikTok, whatever you want to share? You should offer consultations. You should offer therapy consultations from an unlicensed therapist. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's very problematic, though. Oh, for sure. It's just for our use. Yeah. Just, you, yeah, yeah. you actually can just come on the podcast whenever you want and do yeah. it. There. That's fine, too. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, I'm on TikTok on, at Oh Hey Adam. I'm on Instagram at Oh Hey Adam. Uh, and you, if you want to email me, you can email me at ohayadam.mail at gmail. And yeah, I'm working on a website. That's been a minute. That's been a thing. Back burner. We're trying to figure that out, but it's okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's where people can find me. Amazing. Well, I'm sure the fans will be flocking after this inquisitive conversation. I feel like we've covered so many bases. And I still have more to cover, Adam. You're going to come on more often, I think. 
I have so Start much fun. Podcast. Like, How about that? I just love picking your brain. It's so enjoyable. And it's so fulfilling for me. I'm like, oh, like what I say matters. It like does. it's very very ego filling, you must know. We'll fluff your ego any day. <laughs> no, thank you. And thank you all. I think I also think what y'all are doing is just really cool to try to go through a process with people. I think you guys are epitomizing the idea of like document rather than like construct like you're documenting your lives and you're using that just for other people's good so i'm really glad i could be a part of this if you enjoyed this episode make sure you subscribe on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and go ahead and leave us a review and if you're looking for even more comedic relatable content follow us on instagram and tiktok at just go with it that's all for now and don't forget to just go with it <laughs>